ready? Are you really ready? For the Garden State Hardwood Classic, y'all. Rutgers and Seton Hall. We have been waiting a year for this one, and it's finally here. Saturday night, 8.30 at The Rock. Welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My name is Brian DeNovellis, and this episode is all about Rutgers and Seton Hall. Of course, this podcast is brought to you by the North Jersey Vipers Softball Club. If you or your daughter or someone you know is looking to play high-level softball for an elite club team, visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. They are the longest-running softball club program in Bergen County. It does not matter what the records are when Rutgers plays Seton Hall. And sure, both teams are struggling right now for and are desperate for a win. Rutgers coming off that 19-point loss to Wake Forest. Seton Hall an 18-point drubbing to number six Baylor. Well, who better to get you ready for this game than the only New Jersey college basketball writer who can say he's the beat writer for both teams Jerry Carino. Jerry, how are you, my friend? It's funny that you said throw the records out because I just literally typed a line into my preview for the game that said um, throw the, the old adage is throw the records out. But you don't need to use that this year because they have the same record <laughs> and they're on the same trajectory. So there's really there's not a lot. of I mean, the, these teams are pretty even. And so, like, last year you threw the records out, right? Because Seton Hall came out of nowhere and stopped this Rutgers freight train in in Piscataway. This year it's a little harder to predict because they're about the same. So, yeah, it's a rivalry game, and that's what makes it fun. And you know something weird is going to happen. It always does. Always does, Jerry. Uh, 22 of the last 28 games have been decided by six points or less. Sure, there's some blowouts, but, you know, you, you can figure this game is going to be tight right until the end. Uh, I want to get to the game in a little bit, and I know we're talking a lot about it, but I mean, there's only one bit of news that could that could supersede this and and eclipse it, Jerry, and that is the announcement of Dylan Harper, the number one player in New Jersey, the number two player in the country, committing to Rutgers and giving the Scarlet Knights their greatest recruiting class ever. I mean, Jerry, the only thing that I can compare to locally was when Eddie Griffin at that point, about 25 years ago, was the number one player coming out of Philadelphia, the number one player in the country. And he gave Seton Hall their mega recruiting class with Andre Barrett and Marcus Toniel. But there was no social media back then. And now it just felt like this was a national story that everyone wanted to write about. How big is this for Rutgers? You bring up the Seton Hall uh, class of 2000. And as you know, that, that team went 500 that year. Uh, and and then Eddie Griffin bolted for the pros. Correct. Um, but you just never know. But yes, of course, you'd rather have the number two and number three player in the country coming into your fold than not have them. I would add this from a historical context perspective, you know, when people talk about the greatest. So these recruiting rankings are maybe 30 years old, 25 years old. They were not around when uh, uh, Phil Sellers and Mike Dabney committed to Dick Vitale, the assistant coach for Rutgers, uh, in the seventies, and so they were not they were not ranked. But those two guys scored four thousand collegiate points and took Rutgers to a Final Four. So when you if you judge a recruiting class in retrospect, like that is the bar for Rutgers. Now, 
Ace Harper and Ace, Ace Bailey and Dylan Harper are not going to score 4,000 points. They're not going to stay long enough to do that. Right, right. Um, these are these are one-and-done guys, uh, Ace Bailey for sure, and Dylan Harper possibly, probably are one-and-done guys who will be in the NBA after a year or maybe a little more. So you have them for, together for a year. But even so, it is still incredible that Rutgers, the Rutgers who didn't make the NCAA tournament for 30 straight years, you know, the Rutgers who was who lost the game to Purdue at home by 50 just a few years back is now locking up the number three recruiting class in the country and doing it with a local star who, you know, no less an authority than Jay Gomes thinks ranks right up there with the all-time best players, high school players New Jersey's produced in his during his time covering the sport. So it's really impressive. It's it's a little mind-boggling and it's exciting. If you're a Garden State Hoop fan, that next year Rutgers is going to be on an elevated platform in college basketball. Yeah, and and there's there's no question they will be a preseason top twenty five just because of you know these two players, and and it's it's a mega class beyond that, Jerry. So so it puts them at number three or number two in the country, right up there with Duke and Kentucky. That's who they're rubbing elbows with to put it in perspective. You know, if Rutgers would, is top ten or urge- top twenty class, that's big. I would urge, you know, Rutgers fans to not discount the other guys in that class because those other guys are going to be there for ideally two, three, four years and be part of a perpetuation of, you know, a program that's a real contender. So although your top recruits are going to get the headlines and the spotlight and the social media attention, those other guys are pretty good players and they could be real Rutgers men and program guys. And you need those guys to sustain. So, yeah, it's not just two guys. You know, it's five guys coming in, and all five of them could potentially be part of something really good. So there's a lot to be excited about there. That's right. Lathan Somerville and Bryce Dorch, and and these are guys that are going to be the backbone and, and will be there with the players like Gavin Griffith. So, Jerry, I know you wrote the article. You're so close with, with, with the family. You know, how big of a factor did Ron Harper – Junior, his older brother, play in this, and the fact that that Steve Peichel was, you know, nurtured him and made him into the the player and the man he is today. Very big. The, the way it was explained to me from, not from the Harper family, but the way it was explained to me was, look, Dylan Harper is going to make a lot of nil money wherever he goes, and not from necessarily from collectives, but from endorsements. Like he's going to be an endorsement machine. We've already seen that. You know, he's already signed a deal with Fanatics. And so the the, the money thing was he's going to get that money wherever he went. So it's not like Rutgers had to compete with him, with, uh, with Duke and, and Kansas financially in terms of their collective. I don't believe that anyway. I think the money for Dylan Harper is coming from, you know, elsewhere, these endorsements or the corporate deals, what an NIL is supposed to be. And so that really, in a way, kind of freed him up to choose – where he was going to go, not for the money, but for where he wanted to go and where his family wanted him to go. And like, that's where Rutgers having the trust of the, of the Harper family of Dylan, of Maria Harper, their mother, who's also a basketball coach and a former D one player. Like that's where that advantage really came into play. So yeah, I mean, that's huge. The decision that, that Steve Peichel and Brandon Knight made six, seven, eight years ago to recruit, Dylan Harper, uh, uh, Ron Harper, when he was a two-star player at Don Bosco, has 
has reaped tremendous rewards down the line. Uh, life is all about relationships, right? Uh, it's not just about NIL, although money talks. We know that. I mean, yeah, the money, there's going to be there's money involved. Don't get me wrong. But I just don't think it was a matter of like Rutgers had to pony up the money to compete with Duke and Kansas. I think there were external forces, which is, again, that's what NIL is supposed to be. So the outsider looking in is like, oh, man, how is Rutgers doing this? I mean, where did they come from? But they got him, Jerry. And Ace Bailey right. is the type of player, the type of freakish athlete who is typically an SEC player, is typically an Alabama player or a Kentucky player or, or a Kansas player. That, to me, is more eye-opening than getting Ron Harper Jr. This is a kid from Georgia. And I know they play AAU together, but still – that that that's a big move and a and a huge get in well, SEC country. And Brandon Knight, you know, Brandon Knight is you know has ties, very tight familial ties to both of these five star recruits. So he deserves a lot of the credit here. Um, and you know he's going to be a head coach very soon, but he's been an assistant at Rutgers now long enough to to really put roots down there and you know get these guys there. So that's a big part of this too. Bam. Last question on this, Jerry, because we have a lot to talk about. How tell tell the fans out there how it works with these leaks because you as reporters are preparing your stories. You probably you did get wind, all the writers do, that Ron Harp that that Dylan Harper was going to commit to Rutgers. You have to get your interviews and your your I's dotted and your T's crossed. The announcement was coming at around 4:30. And here's Adrian Wojnarowski who does have Bergen County ties. He used to be a writer, right, for the Bergen record. He's an NBA guy. And he breaks the story, quote unquote, breaks it at 4.30. A, what are you thinking at that time? And and B, you know, are, are you mad? And and then tell everyone how it works. Am I mad? No, I'm not mad. I, I can only, I only can speak for myself. Like I, my philosophy is, yeah, we, we generally know the people who cover the team closely. We and so and the recruiting people who cover recruiting too. You generally know where someone's going in advance. I mean, we all knew uh, that Dylan Harper was committing to Rutgers. There was zero suspense. You know, we all had articles fully written and ready to post. Um, but After my, the announcement. My, own, my own philosophy is that you let the kid make their announcement, and have their moment. That's what I've always done. I've never preempted someone's announcement. Um, that's what, that's my style. I think that's the right way to handle college, you know, high school athletes committing to college, let them have their moment. But, you know, Woj is in his own league. Like he doesn't have to answer to anybody. And I, I will add that I'm sure I am sure given his longstanding NBA ties that, that he knows Ron Harper senior. I'm sure they've discussed this. I'm not saying Ron Harper senior green lighted Woj to do this, but I'm sure He's talked to Ron Harper Sr. about it, and they have a relationship. So, you know, I, who knows? People can do each, to each their own. Like, I wouldn't do it. I didn't do it. I've never done it. But, you know, Woj, he, he breaks news a lot more sensitive than that. I mean, in the NBA, he's sure. breaking stuff about personal matters, you know, stuff that, like, dirty laundry. So, to him, this is just nothing. It's good news. Like, So, I don't – it's just, it's just, just when you go up in levels like this, in a spotlight like this, this stuff's going to happen, man. This is the big leagues when you're you're this big. And so it's just the way it is. Like, I don't condone it. I don't do it. But I'm not surprised. And I'm not going to wag my finger at Woj. 
you know, the guy's making a million dollars a year because he does stuff like this. So, right. Like that's that's beyond my scope. Okay. All right. You know, I, All I, I can I, say is like I don't I don't do that. I see your point. And and I I'm I'm the same way as you, right? But that just goes to show you how major of a national story this is, right? Uh, New York papers, national writers talking about Dylan Harper committing to Rutgers, the governor tweeting about it, Governor Murphy. I mean, that's how significant it is, Jerry. So then Rutgers goes out after this huge news that everyone's been waiting for. And they lay an egg against Wake Forest. And now they come limping into this game against Seton Hall. Seton Hall comes limping into this game. I would say, you said it earlier, both teams are pretty much mirror images of each other in terms of, you know, their record, their inability to, to uh, beat a major opponent. And both teams right now, uh, certainly not thinking NCAA tournament, just trying to get a win, Jerry. Yeah, this is desperation time. Like the team that loses this game, their resume is going to be in tatters. And the team that wins will have a pulse resume wise. Okay. But like realistically, realistically, Dino, like these are, it's hard to force to either of these teams making the NCAA tournament. You don't know. It's college basketball. It's early December. It's a long season. Things change. We've There's a lot of twists and turns in this sport. But I don't think going into the season that was ever a goal. Like I predicted both teams to make the NIT. Based on what I've seen, I'm, I'm going to stand with that prediction right now. Uh, of course, the team that wins the game will be in much better standing. The team that loses is going to be behind the eight ball. So there is some stakes there in addition to the pride that you always have when these teams play. Um, so, I mean, the Rutgers losing to two games as badly as they did this, this past week is a function of, I don't think it's bad coaching. I don't think it's lack of effort it's a function of the two guys who walked out on the program after the transfer window closed the normal transfer window closed hamstrung this roster the roster this team was built with paul mulcahy and camp spencer in mind and they left and it became too late to reasonably replace them and now you have complementary players trying to fill those roles and necessitating a wholesale shift in philosophy. Now small and, and press, and there's a lot to assess there. So that's really what this is about. This is about roster construction, not that Steve Peichel intended, but that he got handed. And Rutgers is trying to work through those kinks now in a, in a sort of a, you know, a very challenging way. And you're seeing some of the difficulties of that. I, I agree with you 100%. You, you see the same things that I'm seeing with, with the, the struggles of the guards, although there's talent there. They're undersized. You know, say what Rutgers fans want to about Paul Mulcahy. I don't think they cried when he left, but he was a very underappreciated player who at six foot five, six six really, could could do it all, a little bit of everything pretty well. And you could just throw him out there like an Iron Man of point guards, and and he battled through everything. And obviously, we're seeing what Cam Spencer does uh, is doing at UConn. He has kept that team. Uh, he is a key part to a national championship contending team. He's not just a role player; he is a star on one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, I mean, they they Steve Peichel was very upset when those guys left. He didn't want those guys to leave. He, you know, he he had. To, he brought in Noah Fernandez to help, 
take some ball handling responsibility off of Paul, right? To maybe free him up a little bit, take a little burden off his shoulders. But he didn't bring, he wasn't going to bench Paul or, you know, he didn't run Paul off. He wanted those two guys. Those guys were battle hardened, successful players and, and big. So and big. Yep. he was upset they left. And I know there was some rumblings that Paul wanted to come back in late July. But I mean, Steve, if, Steve, they already had all their commitments lined up. They had all their scholarships filled at that point, you know, if that indeed was the case. So, so yeah, this this is just happenstance mostly. The one the one thing I would say, well, the two issues Rutgers faces is the uncertainty about Mawat Bag's return from his ACL injury, and they're not getting enough out of Cliff Amore, even with the guard troubles they're having, the transitional challenges with the guard, the new backcourt. They're not getting two things beyond beyond what we just discussed that I think are hampering them at the moment. And unless you make outside shots, right, and open some things up for Cliff, uh, they're a very predictable team. There may be times when they hit shots and they're going to be able to win games, but until they consistently hit outside shots, uh, this team is going to struggle. So we talked about some of Rutgers' struggles before we get to the matchup. How about Seton Hall's struggles? A uh, little depth issue at, at center. Elijah Hutchins-Everett is, is, seems like he's uh, clear of his concussion. Injuries tend to nag them. Al Dawes is probably the biggest disappointment on this team. Not trying to pick on one player, but it, it, if you have one consistent three-point shooter, Jerry, one threat, and really that's what Seton Hall has, one consistent threat, and that person is not shooting, it makes things very difficult uh, to win games as well there. Yeah, this is, look, Dawes probably ideally an ideal roster. He's definitely a, a Big East quality player. On an ideal roster, he is a specialist type player, right? He comes in, he does catch and shoot threes off screens and good ball movement. Um, he can attack and transition, but he's just, he's forced to do a lot, which for seeing all scoring-wise and – so he's gonna you're gonna go ride the ups and downs with him, and so it'll be interesting to see. Like he he does not he has not shot the ball well away from home. He has shot better at home, and so it will be interesting to see can that continue against Rutgers? Because if he if he's making three, Seton Hall's a totally different team. And like I know there's some talk of like he should bench him, etc. But like who else is gonna make those shots? Yeah. They don't right. have anybody else. There is no one else. You have to live and die with him because yeah, this is just the way. This is just the, right. what the way they're set up. The so other player they're have to hope that Dawes catches on. You know, one game at a time, starting at home on Saturday, where he's played better at home. They're going to have to hope that he catches on, and if he doesn't, they're going to suffer. That's Correct. just where they're at. Yeah, look, neither team has enough shooters. Neither team, they have some scoring ability, but they don't have shooters. No matter how you, you know, you look at a team like Baylor, and my goodness, you know, you're talking five shooters on that team. St. John. Yeah, that's an elite shooters. That's an elite team. Yes, yes. But yeah, Seton Hall has to bring shooters in there. Right now, they're very reliant on Dawes, and when he's cold, they're, they lose. I mean, it's right. pretty simple. So let's look at the matchups, Jerry. Let's start with the guards. Who do you, right now, who do you give the edge to in the backcourt? Yeah, Seton Hall because of Richmond, right? I mean, he's 6'6". Rutgers has small guards. Richmond's played well against Rutgers in the past. Uh, he plays very well in these local games. 
he seems to take a lot of pride in these local games. St. John's he's played very well against. And yeah, he's he's a good player. And he's difficult to keep out of the lane. Um so yeah, I mean Richmond alone gives Seton Hall an edge in the back. How about the the center matchup? Cliff Amore, he's certainly on paper is is more talented than the other two combined. Uh, is there a significant edge for Rutgers there in the post? There should be. If you asked me a month ago, I would have said yes. But as of today, I would say it's about even. Betiaco's been better than Betiaco's been better than I thought, than most people thought. He's a polished Big East level postman. Uh, Cliff has not played well, so I'd have to. I mean, Cliff is very talented. Uh, and he's a physical specimen, so you can't discount the guy. But I, I'll call it even, based on the way both players are trending. I I think that's fair. Uh, Betty Ako has been one of the biggest surprises in the portal, uh, certainly in the Big East. I don't know all around the country, and he's serviceable. And if Elijah Hutchins Everett can get his legs under him before the Big East, and and let's go into January, then that th- that could be a formidable Big East front line. Uh, Seton Hall is 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 trending in a direction with free throws that we haven't seen, Jerry. We've said in the past, if it becomes a free throw shooting game, Seton Hall loses. If I had told you before this season that on December 7th, Seton Hall would be 80%. 80% and number four. Do you know who's number five in the country, Jerry? In free throws. Villanova? Princeton, Jerry, is number five. If I had ever told you that Seton Hall would be ahead of Princeton yes, at free throws, Princeton, okay. what would you say? Yeah, it's it's you know, it's shocking, but uh, to me, one of the big differences is Bediaco makes his free throws. You're right. And like Seton, Hall, Seton Hall's had bigs who didn't make their free throws in the past. So that's a big difference there. You know, we haven't really seen the benefit of Seton Hall making their free throws yet, Dino, because Seton Hall hasn't been in a close game. You right. know, they've lost three double-figure games, games by double figures. Um, they've won the, the five games they've won. They've won by double figures. Uh, so they haven't really been in a white knuckler where free throws are the difference between winning and losing, which, yeah, you, of course, shooting 80% is something that could come in really handy for them if the game is close. Yeah, this could be. All right, we talked about the backcourt. We talked about the center situation. How about the the, the forwards, Jerry? You know, uh, Andre Hyatt has, has had a very nice season for Rutgers and uh, Wolfolk is is more than serviceable off the bench. Um, you have you know players like uh, Dre Davis, who is the ultimate glue guy, who could be, make any roster better. Uh, I guess you put a Dewusu in that front court type of situation. So looking at the other starters and the bench, who do you give the the edge to in the small forward, power forward position? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna punt on the forward question because I don't think there are any forwards in this game, with the exception of Antoine Wolfolk. Like Dre Davis is a wing guard, uh, Adewusu is a wing guard, uh, Hyatt's a wing guard. You know, Mag's a forward, but he's hurt. Right. Wolfolk's the only forward. I don't think Seton Hall has any forwards that they play that play a lot of minutes. Correct. But- Isaiah Coleman, maybe he's like a wing forward, but no, I, I would say I would punt on that and say, but I would say that Rutgers. Rutgers is the edge in the bench because Seton Hall only has one impact bench player. And Isaiah Coleman, the freshman, has been terrific. And Rutgers has like four guys who are sort of interchangeable parts off the bench. So I'd give Rutgers an edge in the bench. 
Right. Oscar Palmquist, we saw him hit a couple of threes early on in the game against Wake Forest. Uh, you know, he 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 makes the most of his moments. And and coaching, Jerry, how about the coaching? I'll just say they're both good coaches. I'll just say I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rate one coach as better than the other. I would say that I think Seton Hall has a general intangible edge because because they're home, you know, and Rutgers has hasn't won there in ten years. And also, and this is very big, this is a very big deal that Seton Hall had an extra day to prepare. And, like, that's huge. So, uh, you know, coaches will tell you that extra day means a lot. So I think Seno has some intangible edges with those things. That's a very good point. So so there will be, uh, you know, Seton Hall came from Baylor. Uh, that was a Tuesday game. And Rutgers-Wake Forest was a Wednesday game. Jerry, there will always be a buzz. Uh, Seton Hall announced that this game has been sold out in the lower bowl, of course. So yes. you're going to get you're going to get close to, you know, more than 8,000 or 10,000 fans in this building. First time I can remember in a long time, Jerry, 8:30 p.m. tip on a Saturday. So we know that this game always has a buzz in the crowd, but 8:30 on a Saturday night, there's going to be, be a little extra buzz, Jerry, if you know what I mean. It's the best possible tip time for the game. The game should always be on a Saturday night. I know it's not always possible because you know, the Devils at the Rock and some other TV dictates a lot. But, yeah, you couldn't – if you're Seton Hall and you're, you're the host, you could not ask for a better tip time than 8.30 on a Saturday night. The place will be full. It should be pretty loud or very loud. Um, and, and, like, that's that's the time a rivalry game should take place. So it should be a lot of fun and a great atmosphere, as it always is when these teams meet. They could play at noon on Tuesday. And it would be good, but at eight thirty Saturday, it will be buzzing. Right, and and finally, Jerry, you know, I, I want to offer our predictions um, because, you know, last year I, I look Rutgers was clearly the better team, and I thought they were eight to ten points better than Seton Hall, and and Seton Hall played the the best worst game you could ever play in an absolute rock fight. Um, you have covered this matchup, this rivalry. Since uh, I, I guess we're going on more than 25 years, Jerry, close to 30 years, uh, you'll be covering this. So this year, this game at the Prudential Center, who are you giving the edge to and why? I think I think Seton Hall is a slight, the slightest edge. They're home. They have the extra debt. They have the one big matchup win with Kadari Richmond. You know it's going to be close. You know both teams are going to play hard and desperate. Uh you know, Ken Palm, I think, has Seton Hall as a four-point favorite. Uh, I'll reduce that a little bit to three or two and a one-possession white knuckler with the Pirates winning the game. I, I would I would agree that Seton Hall has the edge. I think if you play this game at Rutgers, I certainly give Rutgers the edge there. Both right. teams are more than capable of, of winning on each other's home court. But I just think there's something about Seton Hall with Kaderi Richmond, the way he played at Baylor the other night. He put that that disastrous trip to San Diego behind him. Uh, the real question mark is, will Al Dawes be able to hit a couple of threes? You said he's shot better at home. I think Kaderi Richmond and, and Dre Davis alone, uh, two of Seton Hall's most important players, will find a way to make more plays in the second half than Rutgers players uh, and 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 win by, I'm going to put it at, at – 62 to 57, a five-point win. I'll make one ironclad prediction. Something nutty will happen, Dino. Something <laughs> nutty. 
Will there be uh, a little shove? Will there be a little friendly tap? Will there be a, a a timeout when there's no timeouts, Jerry? You've covered this, your article with your you know history of hijinks. Do you have a top one or two moment in this history that just stands out above all the rest, Jerry? Well, I've always thought the best game was the 2004 game where Seton Hall went into Rutgers when they were 16 and one at home and Rutgers needed the win to make the NCAA tournament. And the one loss was a one point loss to the number one team, UConn. And Seton Hall went in there and won by two as Marquise Webb missed a three pointer at the buzzer. I always thought that was the best, highest stakes game between the two teams. 2004, it's been 19, well, 20 almost years. So we're due for another thriller, Dino, although we've had a lot of them. But that was, to me, the peak game in the series. You know there's going to be a lot of good ones to come. Uh, next year, it will take on a whole nother level with that Rutgers recruiting class. Jerry, uh, you'll be sitting courtside as you always are. I will see you at the game on Saturday night. Uh, thanks for taking time, my friend, and, and looking forward to having another epic game between Seton Hall and Rutgers. I'll see you then. No one does a better job of covering New Jersey college basketball. Can't wait for this one. Look, can Rutgers win this game? Of course they can. They have to find a way to slow down and limit Kaderi Richmond's ability to get downhill and drive into the lane and post up defenders who are smaller than him. They cannot let Al Dawes go off. If this Seton Hall crowd, and it will be a pro Seton Hall crowd, obviously, gets going into this game and Rutgers digs itself an early hole, they're going to have a tough time climbing out of it. Their best opportunity, I'm telling you, is Rutgers to come out, to get a lead early, take the crowd out of the game in the first eight to 10 minutes, and then do what you do. Get out there, get in transition, get Seton Hall, turn them over, and get out into the open, run and finish fast breaks. That is Rutgers' best opportunity. Limit Kaderi Richmond. Don't let Al Dawes go off. Turn Seton Hall over and get them into a track meet where you're getting out and getting points in transition. Those are my three keys for Rutgers. Three keys for Seton Hall. Number one, the guard play. It begins with Kaderi and Al Dawes. Both of them, when they are going together, and it hasn't been often this year, you know, you're not asking for each to score 20, but if each can score 15 to 20 points, that is key number one. Jaden Bediaco, they need to get some type of performance out of their center position and not let Cliff Amore have one of those 16 points, 12 rebounds, and five block games because Rutgers is very good at blocking shots. They're one of the top 20 teams in the nation at blocking shots. That is part of their game, that and getting out in transition. So Seton Hall must get some type of production from their center position and limit Cliff Amore to one of those, you know, eight points six rebound type of a game. That's key number two. Key number three for Seton Hall, don't turn the ball over. A lot of these transform and go from one team to the other. 
I think Dre Davis will do what he does. He is Mr. Consistency for this team. And another key for Seton Hall, find a way to get something out of their bench. Trust me on this one. The team that wins the backcourt battle and the team that is the better three-point shooting team, the one that makes more threes, let's put it that way, win the backcourt battle and make threes. That is the team that is going to come out on top in this game. It's another edition of the Garden State Rivalry, 8.30 p.m. at the Prudential Center. No matter what their records are, and they're both five and three, this one matters. This one matters in New Jersey. This one matters in recruiting, in bragging rights. And this one could get one of the teams going and trending in the right direction. Because more than ever, it is imperative that you don't lose this game. Because Rutgers would be looking at a three-game losing streak, really limping into next week with a very difficult Mississippi State team before the holidays, before Christmas. And Seton Hall must get something going to try to get some momentum going into their game on the road in a neutral site, quote unquote, neutral site game against Missouri and Kansas City. Lose this game, it hurts. It hurts longer. The wound is deeper than any other game on their schedule. It matters. It matters to the fans. It matters to the players. It matters to the coaches. The Garden State Hardwood Classic, Saturday night. My thanks to Jerry Carino for coming on. Always great talking to Jerry. And my thanks also to our sponsor, North Jersey Vipers Softball Club, the longest running softball club in Bergen County. Visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the game, everyone. Enjoy whatever game you're watching, but especially the Seton Hall Rutgers game. Until my next episode, thanks for listening and downloading the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long.